In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Robert Clapper is the head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. It's Saturday morning, and it's time for Dr. Clapper. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> this is the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Yes, Doc. I love your show. Thank you. Um, now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. Wow. It's so great to be back in the operating room seeing patients, many of them virtually, but you can imagine the backlog of surgeries waiting to be done. Such an interesting case I did this week. Someone I did their anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction 25 years ago, a policewoman, a detective, and she ran around doing great work, saving our lives constantly, love her, but eventually her knee wore out, and this past week I did a knee replacement on her, really a resurfacing of her knee, but we can get into that. And to look at the ACL that I rebuilt 25 years ago and to see how using her own patella tendon, how her body made it into a ligament again. It's a miracle to just be able to rearrange the furniture using your own body part. You're not borrowing it from a cadaver or any place. It's locally right there. And the body adopts it and accepts it. It gives you a stable knee again. It's rare for me to be able to see what the ligament looks like after I've rebuilt it, but because they do so well, there's no reason to look into someone's knee again. But this is a knee that just wore out despite giving her an ACL. It's just incredible. What a miracle. So much fun I had this week. And ramping back up again. And I realized that my true calling is to be a surgeon and is to be a doctor, which is why I love doing this show every Saturday morning to give you a peek into my life as a surgeon, my life as an artist, and my life as a big-time Laker fan. I'm so excited. At 815, calling in is a really good friend, someone I respect, who really does live in the world of art and sports better than anybody I know. It's the great Ben Lyons. And at 815, he's going to be calling in. Why am I asking him to call in? Because this phenomenal show that ESPN put on called The Last Dance, the, really the story of Michael Jordan's last season with Phil Jackson and the Bulls, was one of the greatest documentaries that I've ever seen. And everybody who's seen it, don't miss it. I mean, it's really worth it. But out of the blue... The academic professor type cri critic, I would say, but he, he's, he's entitled to his opinion. We all are. And he's really an expert in making documentaries. The great Ken Burns really criticized from an academic reason the last dance. I didn't hear anybody who ever criticized it. And he said, Hey, Michael Jordan was one of the producers. 
There's a bias. He's telling you his version of the story. It needs to be done independently. And it made me think all week, wow, I guess he has a point, but I I didn't care. I didn't care that Michael Jordan was behind it. He may be right academically that to do a documentary, you should not be the producer, Michael Jordan. But I, I believe the enjoyment I had was to hear Michael Jordan tell his side of the story with that bias. So where in those worlds that I love of art, of sports, and of surgery, do we see criticism with or without a bias? And I can't wait to talk to Ben Lyons about that at 8.15. But where in the world of sports was it ever more obvious about having a bias than one of my favorite announcers, the great Dick Enberg? Dick Enberg was the voice of UCLA basketball while John Wooden was the coach for so many years. And it was very clear he was rooting for UCLA when he called those games. To some extent, Chick Hearn was a huge Laker fan. When he would scream, they're dogging it tonight, it's because he's a Laker fan screaming at Magic Johnson over the radio waves and television waves. He's a homer. And when Vin Scully says, you know, good afternoon and welcome to Dodger baseball, he's a Dodger fan. How did he, I won't say hide it, but how do you call the game as a homer? I actually like it that way. Well, we're in the art world. Do we have a critic who was unabashedly telling you this is my bias? Probably the best to ever do it in the art world was Pauline Kale, and you're going to hear from her in a minute as well. And in surgery, where's the bias? Well, I'm a surgeon. That's what I do. I open you up to solve the problem of pain in your joints, in your shoulder, your hip, your knee, wherever. And yet, with Linda Yui, I've written three books. Heal Your Hips, How to Avoid Hip Surgery. Heal Your Knees, How to Avoid Knee Surgery. It's three books because we wrote two of them on the hip. One in 1999 and a newer edition in 2015. But I'm a surgeon with a bias. But I'm telling you how to not need surgery. It's a fascinating topic. And let's get right into it. Rebecca, let's play Dick Enberg at UCLA. This is from February 27th, 1970. Wow, 50 years ago. This is Dick Enberg coming to UCLA to teach you a little bit about his bias. And wait till you hear the story he tells about calling the Oregon game where they almost he almost got into a fight because he was such a homer. Let's start with number one. Well, I guess it boils down to what is really good reporting or not. I'd, I'd like to think that it's all Scully's fault, right? I mean, I, I mean that's serious. It's Scully's fault. He is the best baseball announcer and ever as far as I'm concerned and maybe the best sports reporter ever he uh, uh, without showing his bias he has one as I do and we all do you can't broadcast a team's games and not want them to win that's uh, that's the only natural but he's been able to make baseball entertaining uh, he's been able to educate people to enjoy the game more uh, he's given the information as a good reporter should and yet has a delightful personality that just kind of throws mortar in between all those other things 
throws mortar in between. Mortar, as in building a house with bricks and mortar, the cement, the glue in between. What a beautiful use of words Dick Enberg has. Let's listen to number two. And builds a... At times I wonder if he isn't, doesn't write some of that poetry before he goes on the air, because he actually speaks uh, uh, so, so beautifully at times. So I think he has shown that you don't have to be biased to do a good job of sports reporting, and I find myself challenged by that. I would never have called the games the way I do now when I did the Indiana games in the Big Ten. There was no question about, you know, you, you gave credit to the other team, sure, but I mean, you called the bad calls right with the crowd, and you were, no, you were a member of the crowd. A member of the crowd. Yeah, we love it when our announcer has a bias. At least I do. Let's hear number three. And, uh, and I, I, I'd like to think that maybe we're just a little more sophisticated out here. We have, uh, that, that isn't really true, but what, what is true is that about 20% of your audience, because of the migrant nature of Los Angeles and Southern California, about 20% of your audience really is not rooting for your team. About 20% don't want UCLA to win, maybe more because they've been on top and it's natural to root for the underdog. About 20% of the Angel audience want the Indians to win, or if we're playing the Tigers, want them to win. Same with the Dodgers, same with the Rams. You know, you go to the Coliseum, and although it, there's the feeling the Rams are the home team, there's still a, plenty of applause for the other team when they do well. So you're insulting that 20% whenever you become that biased in your own reporting. And, and it's one of the, it's been the toughest thing for me to face, and I'm not sure I've accomplished it yet. Well, let's listen to a hilarious story where Dick Enberg, the UCLA homer, is now up in Oregon calling the game for UCLA. And those fans, they know he's a homer and they don't like it. Let's go to number four. The only feedback I get that supports maybe that I'm hitting a happy medium is, for example, the Oregon game. I got a lot of mail. I made one very unfortunate comment that I thought was innocent at the moment, but apparently was not. Uh, the, uh, it split down the middle that a lot of them think that I should go up and call the Oregon games because I like the Ducks so much. And, <laughs> and uh, there, there's another equal number of letters who say, you Bruin honk, you know, what you just gone. So I, I guess maybe I'm somewhere in between. Well, here's the story about a fan picking a fight with him, number five. Finally, at the peak of all this excitement, this one character is coming down, and he's hitting me physically in the back, saying, sit down, sit down, and hit me, and I'm trying to give him, give him a stand of love, but uh, the, uh, the uh, so it was at that moment I made the comment, I feel as welcome here as a Jew in Cairo. Well, that was, and, and I, it was no more than to, to express, and it was an unfortunate simile. Number six. Express really how lonely I felt at the moment. It, I was not taking a stand. If you really analyze it at all, it shows uh, empathy toward the Jew. But the Jewish reaction to this has been so incredible, including a Valley State professor who had, who had 400 students ready to picket KTLA and, you know, threats on my life and the whole works. And I, I can't uh, I hope that, uh, you know, I, I would like to come on and say something tonight uh, during the telecast, but the station said no. We I said I could say it, you know, I'd, I'd give equal time. I feel like an <laughs> Arab in Tel Aviv. <laughs> but, but it was no more than an innocent remark, and the, and the overreaction to it, I guess, really is a, 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 sign, a sign of the times.
a sign of the times. I tell you, I love that Michael Jordan had a bias in telling that story. I love that Dick Enberg was a UCLA Bruin fan and let you know it. What about in art? You get respect from the players, from the fans, if you're a fan. But you better be knowledgeable if you're going to be the announcer. This is Jerry Lewis talking about how much he despises critics, but there is one that he respects. This is from the Dick Cavett Show. Jerry Lewis talking about Pauline Kael, the movie critic. Let's go to number one. Who else is good in the... Pauline Kael? Yeah. She's never said a good thing about me yet. But you like her. Dirty old broad. (laughs) (laughs) But she's probably the most qualified critic in the world because she cares about film and those that are involved in it. I wish I could really rap her, but I can't because she's very, very competent. Mm. She knows what she's talking about. Mm, Number two. For a dirty old broad. Yeah. (laughs) She'll be crazy about me again. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think that would influence her, do you? uh, Not her, no. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. No, she's going to say what she thinks. But there's a certain critic in New York, also a female, who has to, I must, of course, keep her nameless, who really is an incompetent. An incompetent. Oh, totally incompetent. I mean, she belongs in a banana factory. (laughs) You know, and one day I'm going to peel her. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> Let's hear from Pauline Cahill herself. Pauline Cahill on criticism, Rebecca, number five. I think the more educated I got, the more willing I was to write like a kid. And I think this is an important aspect of criticism, because most people who talk about the complexities of movies, it's because they're simple. Uh, and, the, uh, I mean, movies are not that difficult. Uh, you can go, and if you can't understand a movie, generally it's because it's badly made. I mean, at a certain level of intelligence, there's no great hassle in movies. Movies are not that deep a medium in most usages, and the greatest movies ever made can be understood at one seeing. And this idea that you have to go to them over and over and over again to get that gem of meaning, which really you got the first time, uh, is quite absurd. Now, number four. Well, I think they come to films later in life. They don't go to movies as kids the way I did. And so it's an educated response. Often they started with Ingmar Bergman or they start with even later figures now. They don't start with that kid sense of that stinks. <laughs> and, and that's a very important sense to have. But remember when I wrote about Bonnie and Clyde for The New Yorker, I had over 20 years of writing about movies behind me. That that review of Bonnie and Clyde, 7,000 words. I mean, you could write long articles for The New Yorker, and that really launched her career. Uh, how about number six? Only bad critics impose an academic formula, and one does not need to rationalize one's instincts. One's instincts are the sum total of one's mind and responses. If, if you can't respond fully and completely as a human being, there's something the matter with you if you're so split that you have to rationalize your instincts. I mean, presumably, if, if you're together at all, all of you is reacting together. I'm not some mechanist making a division between mind and instinct. She fought with academics. There was a guy at the Village Voice named Andrew Saras, who I actually took a course with in college. Pass-fail. I almost failed the film class, thank you very much, but that's for another story. 
But it's just like Ken Burns talking about Michael Jordan. Let's just react in how great the last dance was and not be academic about it. I agree with her. Let's go to number seven. Learn to respond as totally as possible. And you know what you think of a film when you see it, just as everybody in the audience does, because everybody's a critic in that sense. The difference between somebody working in the field professionally is that I go home and I try to pull out of myself why I reacted that way. Because what I try to do in a review is make explicit what is implicit in my reactions. Because you react totally, but then it's the hell of, of trying to write how you got that way. I mean, why you felt the way you did, why you think it's important, uh, what in it struck you, and what you think is going to be important for other people, how the film's going to interact with an audience. Wow. This is a fascinating subject. How did Vince Scully stay a Dodger fan and yet announce with class and with dignity the Dodger games? How did Chick Hearn do it? How did Dick Enberg do it? How did Pauline Cahill do it? And why is a surgeon like me with a bias to do surgery able to write a book to tell you how not to have surgery? It's a fascinating subject, and we'll get into it as the, as the show goes on. Coming up next, I want to get into a little bit about food. I've discovered a clapper version of the Egg McMuffin that is something I've been eating all week. That is so fantastic. And I also made a pecan pie for my wife's birthday, which was a disaster. And I'm going to tell you why. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. Weekend Warriors, oh, you got to love that. You hear that music and you know you're going to be in for a great time. Nobody made movies better than the Broccoli family because they made the movies called James Bond. My name is Clapper, Robert Clapper. <laughs> uh, when I was six years old, my mom had a birthday party at the movie theater when Dr. No just came out. Took all my friends. We, of course, got thrown out of the movie theater because she provided milk duds for all of us. And we all went up. You can imagine six-year-old boys taking over a movie theater, went up to the balcony and began to throw the milk duds at all the people sitting below us. That was the end of the movie and the end of us. Oh, my God. My poor mother putting up with all this crazy lunatics. Uh, all right. Let's do some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Clinic's open. Let's do some Clapper vision. Peter, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hello, Dr. Clapper. Glad to talk to you. Uh, let's see. Do you do I, you listen every Saturday, Peter? Actually, I'm not. Not since this uh, pandemic. Oh, what do you do for a living, and how old are you? I am 63 years old. Really? Uh, I I happen to I happen to do two things. One, I'm a prop maker. Uh, worked on a number of movies, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, I also do characters for kids' birthday parties. Oh, my you God. What's the most hero. popular character? Uh, Spider-Man. 
Really? So yeah. you need to keep yourself in good shape. You can't be an overweight Spider-Man at a birthday party. Exactly. I wear a lot of tights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What's the cutest thing a little kid has ever said to you while you're dressed as, Sp as Spider-Man at the party? Let's see. Well, the cutest thing ever said to me was when I was actually dressed as Bumblebee at a party. <laughs> uh, and I was going through uh, teaching the kids how to transform. And this one kid at a, um, I don't want to say the name of the place, but it, it, was, it was at a... Um, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and he planted his face into the ground or into the dirty carpet so Ugh. that he could uh, show that how dedicated he was to transform into uh, the object I was asking him to transform into. Oh, my God. So, listen, the beauty that is a kid. That's what Pauline Cahill, the movie critic, said. We mm -hmm. should all be kids again. Stop being so academic. Did you like the movie? Did you not like the movie? That's how I feel about The mm -hmm. Last Dance. Did you see the Michael Jordan uh, documentary? Only pieces of it, actually. Well, when you see the whole damn thing, you're going to realize this is one of the best documentaries I've, you've ever seen because it has mm -hmm. live footage the whole last season. But right away, the academics, and I have a lot of respect for Ken Burns, but it's not a real documentary because you shouldn't be producing it, blah, blah, blah. This is, these are the same battles Pauline mm -hmm. Cahill had about bias. You know what? Yeah. Did you like the movie or didn't you like the movie? And it's the same thing. Dick Enberg, Vince Scully, Chick Hearn, they're homers. There's no doubt about it. But that's okay. They have passion. I think if you have passion for whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to be okay. Same thing for your kids. If you love your kids, you may not be the best parent in the world, but they're going to do just fine. Because if it comes from a place of passion, comes from a place of love, it's mm -hmm. okay with me. All right. How can I help you? What you do to yourself? Okay. So about five weeks ago, yes. I went to sleep. And That's a I... dangerous thing, Peter, at 63. Evidently. <laughs> the, next, the next morning, uh, my left knee, I woke up and it felt like I just tore something or I just tore up the knee and just damaged it. So no history of trauma, right? You no. just woke up with a big swollen knee. Exactly. All right. So very in orthopedic surgery, which is what I do and what I've done for 31 years, see 100 patients a week, done over 15,000 surgeries, there's an intimacy I have with the body. Yes, you could have arthritis. Yes, things could be degenerating. And not could be. They are. At Cedars, we call it altacocaritis. Congratulations. You're not 23 anymore. You're old. So things happen. But. Oh, shame on you. Don't say that. Exactly. But <laughs> I love, I love they have anti-aging clinics. They have anti-aging creams as if you're going to reverse the aging process. It's hilarious to me. But anyway, don't get me started. The bottom line is when a knee blows up with no history of trauma, Peter, the first thing I think about is gout. 
and it's sometimes not evident in the blood test looking for uric acid. The most mm-hmm. accurate way to make the diagnosis in a swollen knee with no history of trauma is to actually stick a needle into the knee joint. You know, you sterilize it with alcohol. You freeze the skin. You don't feel it. If, no, so if the guy or woman knows what they're doing, you shouldn't feel the needle at all going in. And you elegantly withdraw some of the clear yellow fluid, the synovial fluid, the motor oil in our joints. Because uh-huh. that needs to then be sent to the lab for a very easy analysis, looking for something known as bifringent crystals. These are the crystals that happen because you're missing an enzyme. So when you eat certain foods, they collect in your blood, collect in your joints as tiny little, um, you know, they look like under the microscope, like splinters, like wooden Mm -hmm. splinters, but they're very sharp and hard and they truly irritate the joint, the lining of the joint, the articular cartilage, and it creates a swelling that Mm -hmm. just happens. So the treatment is medical. You don't need to do surgery for it. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'd love you to get an MRI. Yes, I'd love you to be examined. But Mm -hmm. it's quite elegant for you to have this knee uh, aspirated, and that should be part of the uh, taking care of Peter. Where do you live, Peter? Uh, I live in Los Angeles, Carson area. Okay, so to to live with Peter from Los Angeles, that's what I need for you to do next, is to have it examined, aspirated, an X-ray, an MRI, and if they give you a hard time, Peter... You just tell them one thing. You already got an opinion from Dr. Clapper, and uh, mm-hmm. that'll scare the mafia to get things going. <laughs> what a great – what did your dad do for a living, Peter? He was a plasterer, and he did a lot of carpentry. So when you talk about uh, your dad and carpentry, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, how come you didn't go into plastering and carpentry? Are you kidding? That's <laughs> well, yeah, that's fantastic. Is your dad still alive? No, he's probably not. No, he is not, sadly. How old was he when he died? He actually died at the age of 42. Uh, he had a massive brain Oh. Well, Peter, you know what? If he was alive today, he would be very proud of the man you became, because I can tell already... You have a big heart, a kindness for children, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, making the props. And remember, measure twice, cut once. Exactly. All right. Have a blessed day. I appreciate it. Listen, I did you a favor. You're a total stranger. You know how you can thank me? You find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. I will. All right, Peter. God bless you. Keep in touch. Listen, if you get the MRI, get the exam, they do the test, and it's still confusing, you know where I am. You get a hold of me. There's a book I wrote with Linda Yui called Heal Your Knees. Get a copy. It'll educate you. Thank you. All right. God bless you, Peter. All right, Warriors. I think I should take a break. We'll pay some bills. We'll come back. And I'm going to tell you. Well, the clinic will also be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. <clears throat> but what I'm going to tell you involves recreating the Ed, Egg McMuffin for breakfast, but you're going to need to go to Gelson's for the egg, 
because it's a jumbo egg. You're going to need to go to Western Bagel for the bagel. And wait till I tell you where you got to go for the Canadian bacon. It's a clapper version of the Egg McMuffin. This is the greatest thing to eat for breakfast to get started for the day. I'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm Big Clap. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, darkness, my old friend. So the music you're going to be hearing in between segments. And welcome back to the Weekend Warriors show. This whole show is dedicated to bias, criticism. Ben Lyons is going to be my guest at 8.15. So the music's going to be from movies. What movie is this music from? It comes from one of my favorite movies in my top five of all time. The Graduate. The music by Simon and Garfunkel. Mm, Changed my life. Mike Nichols, the director. This is one of those movies where you can actually feel the director thinking. Maybe it's out of date because it is 1970, but for me, that movie is timeless. All right. The Clapper version of the Egg McMuffin. You go to Western Bagel, buy a dozen bagels. You know what that means? They give you 13 of them which is a tradition that I just love. You take them home, and I like to cut them in half and then freeze them because you then can keep them forever, basically, in your freezer. But when you take it out, you don't need both sides of the bagel. Just take half. It's dietetic that way. Pop it in the toaster. The jumbo egg, extra large, large, fine. But Gelson's has jumbo-sized eggs which I love because it's big. And sunny side up is fine. But part of an Egg McMuffin, the key part is the Canadian bacon. And I am a Canadian baconologist. I know every brand that there is, Oscar Mayer, Boar's Head, all of them. He is my favorite Canadian bacon because it's uncured. It doesn't have as much salt It's absolutely delicious. And where is it? At Whole Foods. So you go to Whole Foods to get the Canadian bacon called Welshire Farms. You get the bagel from Western Bagel. You get the slice of American cheese while you're at Gelson's getting the egg. And then at home, here's the sequence of events. First, you go to the freezer. You take the bagel out of the freezer, put it in the toaster. Next, you get an iron skillet. Put a whole bunch of butter in it. Don't be skimpy on the butter. And then you throw in that slice of Canadian bacon so that it gets caramelized and toasty and brown. Cook it. Then you crack the egg halfway through the cooking process of the Canadian bacon. Sunny side up in the skillet. And I mean cook it. I don't like uh, runny eggs. Cook the hell out of it. Boom. The toaster popped up and it's hot. Take one of the halves of the bagel, put it on a plate, and take the slice of American cheese and put it on the roasting hot bagel immediately so it starts to melt a little bit. Then you take that Canadian bacon out of the skillet, 
put it right on the cheese, and it'll now start melting the cheese from the top. The bagel melted the cheese from the bottom. And then you put that egg right on top of that Canadian bacon. Bring it over to the table. Don't pick it up with your hands. Here's the European way of eating the clapper egg McMuffin. You do it with a knife and fork. That way you don't make a mess. You can actually, as a surgeon, cut up pieces that you want. Oh my God, you're going to have the greatest day of relaxation, of work, of whatever it is that you want to do for that day. If you start it with that clapper egg McMuffin, life is going to be good. All right, let's take some calls. There's lots of callers, which I love about this show. You guys don't even wait for the number to come out, and already all the lines are lit up. It's a beautiful thing. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Brian. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hello, Dr. Clapper. Can you hear me? Yes. Are you hungry now that I talked about a Clapper Egg McMuffin? <laughs> can, you hear, can you hear me, Brian? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How old are you, Brian, and what do you do for a living? I'm 53 years old, and I'm a copywriter and nice. an online marketer. Copywriter. Good for you. So you know who Pauline Kale is, right? Well, you know, I was listening this morning, and um, her insights were inspiring, to say the least. I was amazed. That was great. Yeah, no, she's terrific. And what do you think about Dick Enberg, Vince Scully, and Chick Hearn being biased, and yet that's what you want to hear, in my opinion, for your sportscaster? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, those three guys are definitely on the Mount Rushmore of announcers, so... Whatever they've been doing, it's obviously struck a chord for decades. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to give them, you know, whatever it was that they've done with their homerism. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give that up to them because you, you kind of got to be that way. I mean, look at John Ireland, for, for God's sake. Uh, I love John Ireland. He, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And you're right. You're absolutely right. His hero was Chick Hearn, and he's doing a great yeah. job following in the footstep, but he also went to UCLA. So I'm sure Dick Enberg has a warm place in John Ireland's heart as well. Yeah, he's very strong in his allegiances, but a Laker homer all the way. Yes. All right, young man, how can I help you? What's up? My fingers, they're burning. Burning fingers, all both, both hands or just one hand? Specifically, my um, index and middle finger on both hands, uh, my knuckles. And you're not numbness, tingling, in addition to the no. burning, any weakness? No weakness, just a burning and occasional, just like a sharp kind of a, a sharp burn or pain. Okay. All right. So fascinating. Three main nerves feed our hand. And remember about a nerve, which is what's so beautiful about it. It's not just the electric wire that allows one direction of electrons to go down it. So when you flip the switch in the living room and the lamp light bulb goes on, the switch turned on the circuit so the electrons can go through the wire to turn the light bulb on. There is no information back to the switch from the light bulb. It's a one-way street. The switch turns on the light. 
the light bulb don't turn on the switch. Capiche? Got it. Uh, a nerve, however, actually does two-way streets because a nerve allows you to tell your hand to make an okay sign, right? You talk to your muscles through the thought in your brain and you can actually flip the switch and make an okay sign. But here's the most beautiful thing about our body, which is why I became a doctor, because it's fascinating to me. If you now take your thumb and your index finger and touch the steering wheel, you can feel it's the steering wheel versus the knob to turn the radio on versus the stick shift. Your brain is now getting information from your fingers. It's going in the other direction as well. So there are three nerves that feed your hand. One, the median nerve, the famous nerve called carpal tunnel syndrome. The motor uh, function of that nerve is, as I said, to make an okay sign. You need that nerve to talk to the certain muscles that allow your thumb and index to touch to make an okay sign. That's the motor function of the median nerve. But what's the information back to the brain pathway of that same nerve? Your thumb, your index, your long, and one half of the ring finger is the sensation that goes through that nerve. The other half of the ring finger, the little finger, and the motor function to spread your fingers fully is a nerve called the ulnar nerve. That's the funny bone nerve when you hit your elbow. That also is going to your hand as the second nerve to supply the, the function to your hand. The third and final nerve is called the radial nerve. The motor function for the radial nerve is to extend your wrist like you're holding a can of soda uh, or Corona or whatever it is that you like to drink, a cup of coffee, to extend your wrist is the motor function and the sensation function, the feedback to your brain, is the touch and feel to the back of your hand. Those, there aren't four nerves, there's just three. And when you're describing a burning into those exact fingers of the thumb, the, the index, the long finger has a burning, that makes me think, uh-oh, we need to see what's going on with his median nerve. Be that as it may, the next test for you is going to be a nerve analysis, a nerve conduction EMG. That's going to be necessary. Is it just arthritis because you turned 50? It doesn't usually behave this way, but it can. So getting a visit with an orthopedic surgeon who doesn't do knees and hips and shoulders, that just focuses on the wrist and the hand would be my advice and he's been a guest on this show a couple of times. I love him to death. I respect him to death. His name is Dr. Eugene Tsai, T-S-A-I at Cedars. Give him a call. He will steer you in the right direction and get the right diagnosis. And he's busy like I am. So when you call his office, do me a favor. Tell him you're Dr. Clapper's cousin. And that may get you an appointment earlier. And get ready for the the, the receptionist to say, you know, Dr. Clapper's got a lot of cousins. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I want you to do. And I've helped you today. 
Brian, do me a favor. The way you'll pay me back, find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. I'll definitely do that. Can I have one more question? Yes, of course. Okay. Um, is there anything I can do in the immediate as far as a topical, uh, a supplement, a food I can eat, anything that can relieve that uh, inflammatory kind of feeling? You know, you're treating a symptom, yes, and things that help is to quiet down the inflammation. And certainly you can take an anti-inflammatory, but movement is really the key and fine movement. So if you get the newspaper, although most people don't anymore, take the thin sheet of the stack of newspapers and roll it up into a ball in your hand. Fill a waste paper basket a day with the crumbled papers. That's a great way to get the motor function back. And it's ironic, but the more you stimulate a nerve, the quieter it will get. It's the opposite of what you think. Needlepoint, Rosie Greer, the, the great ram, uh, used to do crocheting and, and knitting. What a great way to do therapy for, for your hands to maintain mobility and function. Um, yeah, you can smear all kinds of creams. CBD cream, believe it or not, is a great anti-inflammatory. It doesn't make you high. So you can smear some of that on the back of your hand. So those are good things to get started. But I'm not a big fan of treating symptoms, Brian. I don't want a, okay. a doctor to give me Robitussin for my cough. If I'm coughing because I got pneumonia, I need antibiotics to stop coughing, not Robitussin. So, yes, there's lots of things. The drug companies, they love symptoms. They love – that's what's so broken about our system. All they want to do is take care of the symptoms. How about preventing the disease to begin with? How about figuring out what the disease is to begin with? The insurance companies do not want to pay for an MRI. They'd rather send you to physical therapy before you actually know what the diagnosis is. That's how backwards and broken the system is. So you know how I feel now. Call Dr. Tsai. Tell him Cousin Brian is calling and get in to see him. (laughs) All right. I love it. I thank you so much. Have yourself a great day, and I will definitely find myself somebody that I can do something nice for today. God bless you, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, Warriors, let's take a break. We'll pay some bills. Coming back next, what a disaster the pecan pie for my wife's birthday was because there's something special about baking that I didn't do. I'll tell you more. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. <laughs> We're stuck here. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Don't listen to them. Don't even listen to Betty Crocker when she tells you how many minutes the brownies should cook in the oven. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You're listening to the music of one of my favorite movies, The Godfather. Oh, Mario Puzo's book that Francis Ford Coppola made into a top five movie in my life. Can't wait to ask Ben Lyons about that movie. Mm-mm-mm. And by the way, that soundbite about don't listen to Betty Crocker, how many minutes to cook the brownies. Actually, you need to listen to Betty Crocker. You know, cooking in general, 
is is kind of like jazz. One guy starts playing and everybody else starts to give their opinion and keeps up with the main person. Surgery's a lot like that. Is a lot like jazz. You know, you have a plan, but once you open it up, oh my God, the nerve is not where it's supposed to be. The artery's not where it's supposed to be. You better not just follow the cookbook. You better learn jazz when you go into the operating room because even the right hip on one guy is different on his left hip. You got to be aware of that. But when, when, and when, as a musician, if you play Mozart, you're not playing jazz. You better play exactly what Mozart said you should play. That's what baking is. If they say a quarter of a teaspoon, you better not put in a half. If they say a cup of pecans for pecan pie, don't put in two cups because you think it'll be more delicious with more pecans. No, it doesn't work that way. I'll explain more of the disaster later. We have too many callers, so I'm going to keep the clinic open. Let's go to Peter. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Ah, he dropped. Okay, good. And I get to keep talking, which has never been my problem, actually. (laughs) Peter, I'll just tell you over the radio. There's a book I wrote with Lindy Huey called Heal Your Hips. Get a copy of that book. Um, And that will help you really to postpone surgery in many patients, the ability to avoid surgery. But if you've had surgery, it's, in my opinion, the greatest way to rehabilitate afterwards. It's water exercises. That's what the books are all about. They teach you anatomy as well, and you get plenty of clapper vision. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about the clapper vision I put in that book. It was just fantastic. Put it this way. It involved looking at an orange cut in half. That'll just give you a a little bit of a tease of how cool that book is because I was able to do it the way I wanted to do it with the illustrations and the clapper visions and the photography. And um, you'll learn a lot. If you have hip problems, Heal Your Hips by Dr. Robert Clapper and Linda Yui. Very helpful for you. Um, here's the problem with making a pecan pie and not following the rules. Let's start first with the crust. If the directions say use X amount of butter, because butter's delicious with flour. You know, the barefoot Contessa, this is her recipe. She's right. You use flour, you use butter, you use a little bit of salt, um, and you use ice-cold water. That's pretty much how you make pie crust. But I decided to go on YouTube and do some research and read about, uh, you know, pecan pies from the South. These these women must know how to make a pie crust. Emeril, he knows how to make a pie crust. So I uh, I decided to do a little bit of research. And I learned that you could also use vegetable shortening because it makes it flakier. So I'm thinking, hmm, I love the flavor of the butter. I love the flakiness of the shortening. Maybe I should do whatever the recipe is, half butter, half shortening. That'll make it flaky and delicious. This is basically how you make a hockey puck, because that's what ended up happening. It was neither flavorful or flaky. That's what happens when you do half butter and half vegetable shortening. Unfortunately, this was the lesson I learned after I ate the pecan pie. Here's the other mistake I made. The recipe calls for 
white sugar versus using brown sugar. I decided, all right, I'll use brown sugar because that seems more delicious, right? Brown sugar probably tastes better than white sugar. Fine. You use corn syrup, and that's kind of the makeup of the goo. There's an egg that you put in it as well that makes up that brown, luscious stuff that's in the pecan pie. But then it asks for, I think, a cup and a half of pecans. I decided, well, if a cup and a half is good, it's a pecan pie. Two cups would be better. So I'm playing jazz to the tune of Mozart. Mozart don't want you modifying anything that he put down for you to play his music. And I'm thinking, if a cup and a half is good, two cups would be better. Here's the problem. If you got too many pecans, you can't taste the goo that holds it all together. And all the while, it's on a crust that tastes like a hockey puck. If you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you'll see how beautiful the cake, the pie looked. But I'm here to tell you, I am determined to do this all over again, to pick a recipe and actually stick to every single thing they say. I'm not playing jazz when I'm baking. You're playing Mozart. And that's the secret to success with baking. Um, I'm going to do it again just because I got to get it right. And I'm going to use the Barefoot Contessa's recipe for the crust, where she uses butter. But she's smart. She ain't mixing it with her hands. She's using the Cuisinart. Because the key to a good pie crust is that the butter stays cold. And if you start using your hands to combine the flour and the butter, the heat in your hands ruins everything. To be continued. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories. Stories about Vince Scully, Chick Hearn, the great Dick Enberg. Guys who were sportscasters, but they were biased, and I love that. Pauline Cahill, the best movie critic, she was biased and non-apologetic for it. And Ken Burns criticizing Michael Jordan because that documentary should have been made by a total stranger, I disagree with. I love the bias that Michael Jordan had in making The Last Dance. We'll get into it coming up next. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN.